Hello and welcome to the latest episode of CM Conversations. I'm Oliver Davis, Associate Director at CM Industrial and a specialist recruiter within the chemicals and plastic space. Plastic sustainability is a hot topic at the moment, being discussed by the media, industry players and consumers alike. Thanks to extensive research and billions of dollars of investment, we're closer than ever to finding a solution for what is a major global issue. A reliable product or process allowing efficient plastic degradation and or recycling would be welcomed with open arms on all continents. Today I'm speaking with Neil Dunn, the CEO of London-based Polymateria, who believe they've found just that, a solution to the global plastics crisis. Neil has an extensive background in sustainability in a corporate setting, all of which he has brought with him to this exciting new business. Neil's going to give us an insight into Polymateria, the current challenges and plans for the future, as well as delving into their groundbreaking biotransformation technology. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Get in touch at cmconversations at charltonmorris.com if you have anything else you'd like to discuss. So um, once again, thanks for joining us. Um, I think the first thing to say is, you know, we've been collaborating for a year or just over a year now, but for anyone listening, could you give us a bit of an intro to Polymateria and what you guys are doing? Polymateria is a British business who have developed a new solution to the global plastic pollution epidemic uh, called Biotransformation. Uh, we've been in existence for five years and for the last year started to roll that technology out commercially uh, in 19 key markets globally. And Biotransformation, can you go into a little bit of detail about what that is? For anyone um, yeah. interested, biotransformation is a bespoke approach to changing um, the characteristics of plastic packaging at the point of manufacture. So it works um, like any performance master batch would, um, but it's bespoke based on the footprint of the resin that it's going into and also the composition of the of the packaging. It's specifically focused on the moment on polyolefins which are um, paradoxically the most littered uh, forms of plastic on earth, but also actually quite a pure material. So the unique thing about biotransformation is figuring out how to take polyolefins and return them to nature without any microplastic. Um, And that's really where we spent the first four years of our life was understanding how to develop uh, a credible, scalable solution that would go first after polyolefins, but we also have R&D projects that we'll be launching over the next couple of months for non-woven applications, so wipes, tea bags, things like that. Um, and we have a, uh, a long-term grant and R&D project funded by Innovate UK to bring the technology into PET, so uh, uh, polyesters. That was going to be my next question um, on the PET side, because that is what you tend to read about in the papers. Um, you know, all the articles are about PET because they're associated with plastic bottles. So um, it's great that you guys have got that in the pipeline and that there's other projects outside of the, the current polyolefins. Um, what do you think is at the moment the biggest sustainability challenge or hurdle that you're aiming to overcome? Um, credibility. So the landscape has struggled with a lot of greenwash and a lot of um, overpromises and claims that frankly haven't stood up to scrutiny. And 
one of the big ways that Polymateria has uh, countered that is to open source part of our IP. So scientifically, how we prove taking something that is um, polymeric, a plastic, and chemically transforming that into a grease or a wax-like substance, and then through the unique prebiotic aspect that we can add and control, uh, making that grease or wax attractive to nature. So as we stand, we're the only company in the world to um, have taken polyethylene uh, films back to nature in 226 days. That's full biodegradation, nothing left, no microplastic, no nanoplastic, no harm to the natural environment and rigid polypropylene containers fully back to nature in 336. Now, all of that has needed much more rigorous standards in terms of pass-fail criteria so that you can back up the claims that you're making uh, with leading-edge science, which has been created through not just our innovation function, but actually through all of the partnerships that we've worked with uh, all around the world. And um, taking that out into the world with the launch of the new uh, British standard is one of the ways that will breed confidence back into not just industry, uh, but legislators, that now a new technology exists that's credible, scalable, uh, and is backed up with the leading standards institution in the world, putting its process and its methods in place in order to create better goalposts um, so that people can back off and substantiate claims in a way that, frankly, they've not been able to do before. Where are you seeing adoption challenges or what are the big challenges from uh, an adoption perspective by a consumer? Well, the unique thing about this technology is that it empowers the consumer. So it puts responsible disposal and the action you actually want to take for the first time in their hands. So because of the time controlled aspect of the technology and our ability to program to within the exact month, exactly when the technology becomes active, that allows us to fit the waste hierarchy. So um, reuse um, is uh, something that we can program in. If it's, a, if it's a cup or something that has a longer potential for its uh, in-use phase, we can control that and add six months, nine months, 12 months, whatever it is, to give that reuse phase an option. But also recycling. So we've tested up to being 50% uh, of the uh, recycling stream at the impact Recycling Centre of Excellence in, in Scotland and proven no impact. Um, so what we're communicating to consumers uh, in markets all around the world is this whole concept of a recycle by date. So it gives them the chance to act responsibly within a particular time. But let's say the consumer does their bit, the brand communicates what you know it should, uh, and it winds up in the natural environment. Now, a lot of people think plastic gets there through littering, but actually the biggest cul culprit is unmanaged waste, mostly in the developing world. So as and when that happens, and 32% of all plastic, unfortunately, that is the end state um, that it will encounter. With our technology in there, it will return to nature uh, without any problems. So I think giving the consumer that clear sense of empowerment and inspiration and working with some of the biggest brands in the world um, we have an opportunity to really bring um, a, a bottom-up consumer-based movement into play to put pressure back on the whole system to act and change uh, and, and just think differently, frankly, about how we're solving this problem. And, you know, from a, a physical perspective, Neil, you know, to a, 
to a layperson, can you actually explain what actually happens? So that, that polymer is programmed uh, with a certain time frame in mind. What happens at that point physically or visibly? What has defined our, our technology and, and kind of getting a whole other era of, of credibility in place is at the point where chemical transformation begins to happen, one of the unique things that has defined the technology and that is noticeable to you and I as, as, as lay people is when the technology becomes active. So when the dormancy period is up um, and the chemical transformation begins, what's unique about biotransformation is its ability to go into the hard crystalline region of the polymer structure. If you don't do that, you create microplastic and that's why technologies in the, in the past have failed. So we attack both the crystalline and amorphous region together. So there's nothing actually holding um, the material together from a molecular perspective. Now, what that feels to, to, to you or I um, very, very quickly, literally within a period of, of weeks, if not days, it starts to act and behave like a grease or a wax-like substance. And of course, scientifically, you can evidence that by showing specific pass-fail criteria that this is no longer polymeric. You're now down into degraded oligomeric type material, more like a grease or a wax. So that's like the first um, point of, of, of transformation, if you want. Then it becomes invisible to the, to the human eye. You can, you can no longer see this. It's not a microplastic, it's not a nanoplastic, but microbes, fungi, and bacteria are going to start consuming it um, and doing that um, um, more radically because of the unique prebiotic aspect that we add in. So we can show through live dead visualization the difference between a, a microplastic, which is inert, and it persisting over time. Microbes, fungi, and bacteria will attach to it, colonize it, but ultimately die. Whereas with our technology, the grease or the wax, they will identify it, find food, but then through their unique natural attributes, what is carbon will become carbon dioxide, water, and biomass. So effectively nothing left um, within you know, a very, very aggressive time frame. So as I said, 226 days for polyethylene, 336 days for you know, rigid uh, polypropylene materials. Yeah. Really, it kind of it gets beyond the human eye very, very quickly and gets into um, ensuring that these materials have no impact on life. So we, we, we also test and go beyond all of the OECD acute and chronic tests to show that uh, uh, signal creatures and plant life and other um, um, parts of the biosphere aren't, aren't impacted as part of the, the biodegradation happening. Okay, good. Um, and at that point at which, you know, the molecular level of the product has broken down and, and it's turned into a wax or grease-like material, um, is that when the consumer they need to put that into some kind of different environment or is there going to be infrastructure in place for these things to break down in a certain type of environment like a composting system or how would that work no the beauty of our technology is that we want the consumer to recycle so we very much want to promote the circular economy but also being realistic um and accepting the fact that nature is our most powerful circular economy sooner or later everything has to return to nature anyway so our design philosophy is working back from nature to only work with pure materials so for example our technology and the product stewardship behind it is very very important we've never put the technology into polystyrene or pvc or toxic materials that would ultimately harm the natural environment if you did 
um, achieve uh, any, any form of biodegradation. So we only work with pure materials, which interesting polyolefins are, but the product stewardship demands that any other additives, any resins that are in there, they all have to um, return to the natural environment without, without any problems. But that's um, as a, uh, a last step, if you want, that's only if the system fails. And we know at the moment the recycling system is under real pressure globally, but it's aspirational. It's where we need to get to. So we want to give it every chance. So what we want the consumer to do is behave responsibly, is to um, uh, recycle the materials, get it back into the system. But if for whatever reason the system fails, and that can be for a whole host of reasons, then our technology introduces a perishability to packaging that will allow it to return to nature without any problems. Okay. And what about... Um... What's, what's changed in the last year? So we've been working together about that long. Uh, what's changed for polymateria or what's new? <laughs> um, well, besides uh, a global lockdown and pandemic, yeah. um, I think one of the things that has happened on the kind of the, the regulatory and policy front is, is a realization that our relationship with plastic really needs to change. So I think the initial wave of thinking we can kind of ban plastic, um, certainly reduction plays a role. So there's needless frivolous uses of plastic that should absolutely um, be, be banned and we don't deploy our technology into any of those things. But for food contact approved packaging where there is no reasonable alternative, and also this is the most um, fugitive or littered plastic on earth, uh, this is really where we needed a more, a more credible solution to emerge. So um, in the last year, I think the um, regulators in, in California and in other markets have realized that uh, reduction plays a role, reuse plays a role, um, uh, recycling uh, plays a role, but actually we need to redesign the materials themselves, but we need credible technologies that are science-based and proven and that are able to do that. So I think practically speaking, legislators, because of COVID-19, are waking up to the fact that we have this um, dependency on, on, on plastic, but the right types of plastic that will protect either us or protect our food. And ideally that plastic is recycled, but if it winds up in the natural environment that doesn't persist, it doesn't create microplastic, it doesn't harm um, wildlife in any way. So I think that that's been one big um, shift in terms of uh, realization from, from legislators. And the thing that we've really done to help um, guide that and support that is to launch a new standard with the British Standards Institution. So um, we um, have been working for 18 months with um, the rigor that is, uh, I think, uniquely afforded to BSI. So BSI, for those who don't know, are the most cre credible standards institution um, globally. And at the start of the process, we met with CEN, we met with the Europeans, we met with ASTM and said, you know, there's clearly a gap in the standards landscape globally. You've, you've composting standards and you have standards that don't have the rigor maybe that we would we would need um, to kind of cut out a lot of the, the greenwash. So because of that gap, we're going to go off and do the work um, and have deep engagement with all of the stakeholders who really care about this, this issue, um, bring to the table uh, a very focused piece of, of technical evidence that, that should suggest 
um, if you're biodegrading plastic and you're chemically transforming it, how do you scientifically evidence that you're no longer a plastic, you're now this grease or wax-like material? And the experts in the world who really know their stuff from a polyolefins perspective have been at the table consulting shaping that. Um, when you've actually got that grease or wax-like material, how is it consumed within the natural environment without any harm to the natural environment? And again, leading stakeholders in their field have been involved in that process. So what we've launched uh, literally only last week is a new set of goalposts that will breed confidence back into industry and legislators that now there is a way of substantiating claims in the space that frankly um, there, there hasn't been in the past. And um, you know, the UK government through uh, DEFRA, BASE, uh, RAP, FIRA, um, have been, you know, very supportive of, of you know, the, the desire to get this right, um, but equally have commercial organizations like Clarit, um, you know, who, who kind of have recognized the need for more credible technology in this, in this space. So it really has been a very deep engagement with many different stakeholders and has brought a whole new uh, lens to assess credibility of solutions and was informed by Polymaterials internal standard and the data and the evidence that we're uniquely able to produce to show the effectiveness of rigorous pass-fail criteria around the different stages of biodegradation. Um, you used a word there, or you've used it a couple of times, Neil. Um, greenwash. It's not something that I've I've heard much before. What what exactly does that mean? Well, it means that we're um, over-promising in terms of the. Um, environmental claims that we are making. So uh, you, know, you might be telling the consumer that something is biodegradable when in fact uh, it's, it's not, or it's, it's, it's maybe only biodegradable in, in certain conditions, which is you know, very, very limited in terms of availability globally. Um, and you know, that type of confusion with the consumer has created this eco-labeling jungle. And really what we wanted to do with launching the new standard and having a much more rigorous way of, of, of assessing science is uh, to use the ISO 14021 guidelines, which clearly say you have to communicate uh, things to the consumer that you are able to substantiate. And by launching this new standard that's all about scientific substantiation, the green claims that you're making to the consumer and how you're substantiating those claims can now work together in harmony in a way that just hasn't been possible previously. So we really think that this will be um, you know, a new era in terms of credible claims from a biodegradability perspective, but the leading brands are now racing to figure out how do they uh, communicate this to the consumer in a way that allows them to uh, get some credit because you know, frankly, they've been under a lot of pressure to uh, not just sign up to you know, long-term uh, targets and, and, and commitments, but actually to solve the core innovation challenge as it stands. So fundamentally redesigning uh, plastic and packaging itself, which is you know, where we come in. So hopefully the new standard really is going to eliminate the ability for greenwashing. Uh, you would hope altogether um, that it's, it's not even going to be a thing anymore. Well, it will require you to substantiate your claims. So it will mean that if you're saying that you're achieving biodegradation, you'll have to say within which environmental conditions, you will have to say um, um, you know, uh, uh, what uh, um, types of materials you're working in um, and uh, the time frame within which uh, biodegradation is expected to reasonably happen. So all of those things 
will require you to substantiate it with credible third party evidence um, before you're ever allowed to communicate that to the consumer. So um, I, I think that, you know, that in itself is a, you know, a whole new uh, beachhead in, in the war on plastic. To, to avoid a kind of stereotypical question, where do you actually see the changes for polymateria and also the, the plastic recycling world in general over the kind of next one, three, five years? I think in terms of trends, we're going to see a big focus on simplifying the stream. So, you know, the complex multi-layer barrier layer systems that we've had in the past, there's going to be a lot of innovation driven by just simplification. Um, that's good for recycling and that's good for biodegradation. Um, the simpler the packaging, the, the easier it is to get into the stream and the easier it is to get back into the, the biological cycle as and when that needs to happen. The second trend is purification. So I think materials that are, uh, you know, containing benzene, toxic materials, formaldehyde, and so on, um, you know, that that's, you know, as an investor, that's a watch out. Get out of those, get out of those materials and get yeah. into um, um, purer sources. I think purification also, um, there's going to be a lot of innovation in the PCR space. So as and when you get post-consumer recycling back, how do you purify it and get it back to um, virgin grade almost so that it, it would be usable in food contact situations because at the moment um, the, the stream has so much contaminant in it and so much need for stabilization that it's not allowed to go back into food contact approved uh, situations so um, that can be addressed though with innovation and also with um, maturity in terms of simplifying the stream so I think there are there are two big things that are you know mega trends that aren't going to change and then the third is credible solutions for for biodegradation emerging so starting of course with polyolefins which are the most of the 32 percent of plastic that winds up in the natural environment 31 percent are polyolefins so your polyethylene your polypropylene flexibles and rigids interestingly pet is only 10 percent of the 32 percent but it gets the most media attention because it carries a lot of those big brands those bottles are iconic. It's very easy for an NGO to say, is this yours? Um, but it's actually the third most uh, um, fugitive plastic on earth. And actually the PET loop in many countries from Norway to India is, is working very, very well. Um, Non-wovens, I think there's gonna be a really big trend um, driven not just through um, healthcare um, but also just non-wovens as, as an innovative material um, and, and that really needing a credible solution for biodegradation because your wipes, your tea bags winding up in the natural environment, um, you know, that's going to be um, you know, a real issue. About the 8 million tons or so of, of non-wovens produced every, every year needs a scalable solution for that. Um, and then I, I think, you know, consumer awareness and, and empowerment, I think consumers starting to vote with their shopping baskets and, you know, supporting brands who are um, first movers on new innovation as it emerges. I think, you know, they're, they're going to be the big winners, you know, the first ones to be able to really um, win hearts and minds with, with consumers um, uh, and stop being labeled as the world's top second, third, fourth, you know, biggest polluters and actually flipping that. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, that is the real opportunities for brands working with partners like Polymateria. 
Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um, I mean, one thing I get asked a lot when I'm I'm talking about anything to do with polymateria, Neil, is is the actual impact on the conversion process. So, um, you know, it's it's described as non-disruptive um, late stage input. Can you just go into that in a bit more detail? Yeah. So, um, look at this stage of our of our business. We're you know post Series A, very well funded. We've got some of the you know the most um, credible leaders in the world at the top of this organization. We've got some great people um, working uh, in in the business on 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 many fronts. They're all experts in their field. Um, but uh, we have deployed this technology now consistently over the last twelve months, maybe even eighteen months in the biggest BOPP lines in the world, in the biggest injection molded facilities in the world um, at, without any problem. The molds aren't impacted, they don't slow down, there's no need to clean um, before or afterwards. Um, and this is, these are industrial scale lines with you know, the, the, the biggest partners in the world. So it's, it's, um, it's very much proven from a processing perspective. And in the last six months, what we've really worked hard at is the aesthetic. So that the thermoformed, our injection molded rigid containers or the blown film or whatever uh, is completely um, clear. So, you know, you really wouldn't know that the an, an expert or a specialist might know that there was a, you know, a, a technology in there, but really the consumer doesn't notice it at all. So, you know, that uh, aesthetic um, uh, performance of the technology is, is is very helpful from a marketer's perspective. And on the, um, you know, the, the processing side and the conversion side, um, would converters need to like invest in additional uh, capital equipment or is it typically going into completely existing uh, automation lines? It's going into existing lines, you know, with the with the biggest converters in the world. So as long as they're used to handling performance master batches, so it's not a commodity. It's not a, yeah. you know, it's not like a, I know people kind of use drop in a lot, but actually one of the reasons why additives in the past have failed was this kind of um, assumption that it can kind of go into anything and it'll be fine. Our approach is much more bespoke. It's much more about a partnership and an understanding of exactly what you're deploying into. And then we have a range of different performance master batches to meet the timing requirements of you know the, the time controlling of the brand and the converter but also what then needs to happen in terms of full chemical transformation and biological consumption of the materials that bespoke approach is really important so as long as the converter is familiar working with a partnership and sharing information in terms of the mfi of the resins the other additives that are being used and all of that that allows us to create an, a successful solution. And it's actually that reason why we partnered with Clarion first. So we launched at the K-Show commercially in October last year. Um, and we, we with, with Clarion, uh, announced a partnership bringing the technology to Southeast Asia. Why? Because that's the preeminent source of fugitive plastic globally, but also because of Clarion's technical nouse and understanding of the performance master batch market that was you know really important to us that ability to work across the value chain at every stage and that's going to be a key thing for this role is that ability not just to be um uh, like a proxy at the back end working with distributors but actually the product stewardship that we're looking for around this technology needs to successfully deploy at every stage right through till it touches the consumer and one of the things that we've kind of had to build as an organizational capability 
is that understanding of each step of the chain along the, the way. Um, so unlike other technical roles in the, you know, in the polyolefins or the additive space, you're not just going to be talking to technical teams um, and stopping at R&D in the converter. You're going to be going right into the, the marketers and some of the biggest brands in the world, helping them with their communications agenda. Um, and we built at a working level that capability. And we have that capability on our board. When you look at Mark Boland, Frederick Demevius, um, you know, Alexander DeWitt, these are the guys that have given the world Oakley. They're on the boards of Coca-Cola and other businesses. So we have it at that level. We now need that at, a, at an executive level as well. Where do you think this product could go outside of what we've talked about so far? So outside of packaging, you know, would you ever look to uh, for it to go into maybe like a core product rather than a packaging form or, uh, you know, anything else, other, other components in different industries, for example? Um, we get asked a lot about um, potential to bring the technology into, into fashion, you know, where a lot of those big apparel brands are under huge pressure. Um, the problem is the purity of the materials that they're working with as a starting point are, are very, very prohibitive. Complexity mm. and, and, and um, um, uh, impurities. Um, nonetheless, with the right innovation and the right kind of resources, um, it is resolvable. Um, but you don't want a situation where, you know, your, your, your clothing um, is, is um, um, biodegrading if it, if it winds up in the, in the natural environment. You want to be able to get it back and you want to be able to remanufacture it into something else. Where you do need a solution for biodegradation is the runoff from the, you know, the, the, the materials as they're being washed or as it's being used, that those materials as they... Um, are released into the natural environment through wash cycles and just natural wear and tear that they're not persisting and creating microplastics. So, you know, that's really where um, our, our technology could play a role, but, you know, that would be a, an innovation program and it would require investment from, you know, one of the world's biggest brands in order to yeah. bring what we've successfully done in food packaging into, you know, the apparel business. Yeah. Okay. And, and you mentioned there like the impurity of some of the products that are used to make textiles, to make uh, apparel. Um, is that impurity because of the, the core resin or feedstock they're using, or is it because of other additives? And that was going to bring me on to ask you with packaging, if products that you're selling uh, polymaterials product into, if those have already got additives in there of various sorts, does that affect the performance of your product? Yeah, so again, this is why the bespoke approach and partnership and product stewardship are, are so fundamentally important. So for us to recommend the right performance master batch, we have to understand not just the film, but the final finished converted project with the laminates, the inking, everything that needs to go into place. And all of those materials have to be pure enough to return to the natural environment, um, 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 but also ideally, um, you know, be, be recycled as well. So um, as part of our sales process, we have under NDA uh, um, uh, what's called a, a PQF, so product questionnaire um, form, where everything is taken into consideration. Everything from warehousing to processing conditions to the MFIs of the resins, you know, the footprint of those resins, other additives that are being used, the conversion process, the inking. Um, another reason to partner with Clariant was to be able to recommend uh, a palette or a suite of bio-based inks 
that wouldn't be ecotoxic or cause problems uh, from a biodegradation perspective if you had to release them into the natural environment. So everything is taken into consideration and that product stewardship means that we're really building something here that has the highest degree of integrity associated with it. But that's only as strong as your partners and your partners buy in to deploying the technology in, in, in the right way. So that just means a lot more information has to be shared, but um, it, it also means that uh, lead to cash in, in our business has to have that cautionary step where we test everything. We test everything before it goes to market with the converters and with the brands. And we do that at third party ISO accredited labs. And now with the launch of the new BSI standard, that will allow us kind of a new belts and braces approach to backing off any of those claims. So that, that allows us to, you know, really build something that's breeding the confidence back in the industry, but it does mean that your sales cycle has to allow for that, that particular stuff. Staying within polyolefins, how do you think your technology uh, is going to evolve in the coming few years? Or, or do you think it will, you know, do you think what you've got right now, um, there's enough scope for, or do you think you will be changing things even just to make them more bespoke for different resins or uh, yeah. other additives? So we, we'll continue to stay focused on our core, which is polyolefins. We'll continue to pr produce, you know, even better data. So, you know, the, the uh, 226 days full biodegradation under mesophilic conditions for polyethylene films, only company in the world to be able to show you a graph, not an extrapolation, a graph. Um, for that, um, um, that will be something we'll continue to improve. We'll continue to get to get better at that um, at that you know biodegradation performance for polyolefins because that's where the biggest need is and that's where the biggest market is. Um, we'll expand uh, over the next couple of years into non-wovens. So you know non-wovens is a you know a big um, kind of short to medium term innovation focus for us, and we'll be launching something you know, very compelling there over the next couple of months. And then PET as well, you know, so those those kind of, you know, programs are advancing quickly through the business. Um, and also we will announce probably two, uh, possibly three big strategic partnerships with um, a, a, you know, a big, you know, one of the top technical players in that particular material uh, in the world as those innovation programs kind of come through to fruition. So, you know, those strategic partnerships um, are really important for the business because they have um, you know, infrastructure capability resources to kind of bring to bear on rolling those technologies out. Um, and, and ultimately from a business perspective, it allows us to punch above our weight um, and underpin execution with, you know, real rigor um, and manufacturing capability. We're at the moment, we're manufacturing in France, but we see ourselves bringing online probably two other uh, global facilities in the next 18 months just to underpin demand. Um, you know, and that needs to involve a lot of trust. You know, so in order to establish if trust is um, at the right levels in, in those businesses, um, you got to work together. You got to work together at all levels of the business to open up markets, to uh, maybe work on particular technical challenges and you, you see what you're dealing with. You see, you know, is that organization respecting IP? Do they have the same integrity that we do? You know, are they approaching the problem the right way? Um, you know, and that allows us to validate who's the right partner to then allow to manufacture our technology in, in different markets around the world. Um, 
So medium term, um, there becomes a point in time as the market gets more mature that this evolves from being a master batch um, into a resin pellet. And you know that's how you get from a business plan that's you know heading towards thousands of tons, ten thousands of tons over the next couple of years into hundreds of thousands of tons and ultimately solving what is a hundred million ton problem. Yeah. You know, we're committed to two things, credibility and scale. And in order to, to really address scale, um, you know, this being in a resin pellet, once the market is mature enough, once standards are robust and supply chains are robust, you know, that's certainly a medium term ambition for this business. You know, when we're talking to people that know of the business, um, there's already a bit of a, you know, a bit of a buzz in the market, um, I guess, from things like the K-Fair and, and so on. So, yeah. Anyway, um, we'll leave it there, if that's all right with you. Been a pleasure to speak to you again and um, looking forward to, to continuing the collaboration. Right. Yeah, right. thanks so much. Cheers. No worries. Appreciate Cheers, Dale. Thank thanks. You. Take care. Bye-bye. So that was my conversation with Neil Dunn from Polymateria. It's clear they're a business that the plastics industry should be getting excited about. I want to thank Neil for taking the time out of his day to have a really interesting conversation and make sure you follow Polymateria on LinkedIn for the latest updates. Get in touch with me if there's anything you'd like to discuss. I'm Oliver Davis. Thanks for listening.